in Jonah 4, 1 through 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, where I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Good evening. It is good to be together once again. We invite you to be taking out your Bibles, be turning to the book of Jonah. We're going to be studying from that book this evening. The book of Jonah is an interesting book among the minor prophets because it is really not a record of Jonah's preaching as much as it is about a moment in Jonah's life. And so we get a lot of narrative telling us the story of Jonah and a lot of times what we will tell our children about Jonah and being swallowed by a great fish, those kinds of things that we read about here in this book. But the book of Jonah is far from just a kid story. It is a very important book that has some extremely important lessons for us as adults, as those who are trying to follow God and His will. The book of Jonah is a fascinating tale that takes us on a tour of God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness, while also showing us an ugly side of forgiveness, one that we sometimes don't like to admit that is there. But sometimes when we harbor resentment, towards those who are forgiven. The book of Jonah can be like staring into a mirror if we are sometimes honest with ourselves. Jonah was a prophet who encountered God's mercy. He preached God's mercy. He proclaimed God's mercy to people. And yet he still wanted to flee the presence of God. At the end of the book of Jonah, he grew angry because God did show Mercy. So let's study the book of Jonah this evening. Let's look at some of the twists and the turns that we might see here in this book. And it's a very short book, but it's a very powerful message that we need to take great consideration of. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. We are here introduced to Jonah. And many of us are probably, at least I can admit this, until a few years ago, I thought this was the only place that Jonah was ever mentioned in the Bible. But I was mistaken. Because Jonah is actually introduced to us in the books of history, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. In 2 Kings chapter 14, this is where we are going to begin really our sermon. We'll come back to 
the beginning or to the book of Jonah, but we need to go back to 2 Kings chapter 14 to set the context of Jonah as a prophet of God. Because in 2 Kings chapter 14, well, this is where we are actually first introduced to Jonah as God's prophet. In 2 Kings chapter 14 and in verse 25, it says there in the middle of this context, he restored the border of Israel. That's talking about King Jeroboam II. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. Here is the same Jonah that is a prophet of God. And here we have record of him prophesying earlier in Israel's history. And so he is here prophesying to the children of Israel. And we see here that in 2 Kings chapter 14, if you go back up to verse 17, to set the context a little bit here, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoahaz, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. So Amaziah was king of Judah, and Azariah takes his place. They are the kings in Judah. And during this time, it is Jeroboam who is reigning in Israel. In verse 23, it says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned forty-one years. And you continue on in verse 24, He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, which he made Israel sin. So Jeroboam II here is reigning as king in Israel. And he is a wicked king. He's following the steps of all his predecessors. He is engaging in idolatrous worship in Israel. He is a wicked king who is not concerned about doing God's law and performing it and leading the children of Israel to follow God's law. And so you have here Israel and a wicked king, a wicked ruler, who are all engaged in idolatry. And then you have Jonah, a prophet, who is prophesying to Israel during this time. He is prophesying during the days of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam actually has success. He has success here as a king. Even though he did not lead Israel out of idolatry, he continued in the sins of the idolatrous worship that Jeroboam the first, the son Naboth, had introduced to Israel. Jeroboam II did not encourage first and second commandment loyalty to God. Yet despite his sinful ways, look at what he's able to do in verse 25. He restored the border of Israel. That he was able to fight back some of Israel's enemies. That this wicked king was able to have some success. You might think, why is that? Why would God allow a wicked king in Israel to have some success to engage in battle, in, in war? 
Even though he was wicked, he caused Israel to sin. And you know who is the prophet? It's Jonah. Jonah is getting to prophesy during this time. And he's becoming, he gets to be this prophet, this mouthpiece for God that says, You don't deserve this, Israel. In fact, if you deserved anything, it would be punishment. It would be to help be held accountable for your sin. But you are being shown mercy. God's mercy is being shown to you. God's loving kindness, His love for you is being shown. The places that Jeroboam was able to restore, you might notice that word restoration, restored, that means that it had previously belonged to Israel. If you go back earlier in 2 Kings chapter 10, in 2 Kings chapter 10 and in verses 31 and 33, we read about how some of those places that were restored were taken from Israel. So they needed to be restored to Israel. But they had been taken away. You want to know why? Because Israel had sinned. In 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 31, it says, But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off portions from Israel. And Hazael defeated them throughout the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites, and the Reubenites, and the Manassites, from Aror, which is by the valley of the Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. Because of Jehu's wickedness, God took away land. He sent enemies that were able to come in and take land from Israel. But here in 2 Kings chapter 14, you have another wicked king of Israel. And what is happening? He's actually bringing some success. And the only thing that you can attribute that to is not to anything that Israel had done on their own, but because of God's mercy. God allowed Jeroboam, a wicked ruler, to save Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 14, and in verses 26 and 27, it says, For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter. For there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper for Israel. The Lord did not say that He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. God allowed Jeroboam, a wicked ruler, to save Israel when Israel did not deserve it. That is the textbook definition of mercy. Mercy is when someone withholds punishment. If you were to go before a judge, let's say you got a speeding ticket or something, and you were to appear before the judge and you might ask the judge to have mercy. Yes, maybe you know you are speeding and maybe you fully admit that, but you ask for mercy. Even though you deserve a punishment, you want mercy to be withheld. You want that justice and judgment to be withheld. That's what 
Jonah got to be a prophet of, of God's mercy. What a privilege, what an honor that Jonah was able to speak to the people of God. Even when they did not deserve it, he got to say, there's going to be good things that happen to you. What an awesome privilege to, and message to be able to say. Because you read the other prophets and not, not nearly half of those prophets got to have such a positive message. Many of them said, hey, judgment is coming. It's at the door. You need to be ready. But Jonah, he gets to be a prophet who proclaims God's mercy. And this is something that has been repeated in Israel's history as we've been studying in adult class in the book of Deuteronomy. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 9, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, as Moses is describing the children of Israel, he doesn't have a lot of just wonderful things to say about them. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 4, Do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. So don't go in boastful thinking that you're getting what you deserve. When you come into the land, it's because God is showing mercy to you. He goes on in verse 5, Moses says, It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. I love that description, don't you? You are a stubborn people. You continue on in verse 13, Moses says, The Lord spoke further to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stubborn people. Again, what a wonderful description to come through Moses from God. And Moses recounts how at Sinai, when the children of Israel had built the golden calf and began worshiping it, how God wanted to destroy them. In verse 14, Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. But you know what Moses did? He pleaded for them. In verse 19, it says, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you, but the Lord listened to me that time also. You know what Moses did? He asked for God to be merciful. He asked for God to show mercy. Here in 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah is privileged to prophesy about God's mercy to Israel and how God showed favor to Israel over and against Israel's enemies even when they did not deserve it. And when we are introduced to Jonah in 2 Kings 14, he prophesies of God's abundant mercy towards Israel 
just how Moses pleaded for God to be merciful to Israel. And so at this point in the story, in our juncture, in looking at who Jonah is, he is a prophet, a, a, a mouthpiece of God's mercy to Israel, even when they do not deserve it. He is someone who is following the steps of Moses, preaching a message of God's great mercy. But of course, that's not the full story of Jonah. That's not the full message of Jonah because we have a book which bears his name. But we could read in 2 Kings chapter 14 and think, hey, Jonah's a pretty good guy. He's a pretty good prophet. But there's more to it that we need to study. And so I invite you to turn back to the book of Jonah. Because as you very well know, as we noted at the beginning of our lesson, in Jonah chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, God comes to Jonah and He tells him to go to Nineveh. In verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So, even though Jonah is very familiar with God's mercy, he is told to go and preach a message to these wicked people in Nineveh, the Assyrians. And you remember in Jonah chapter 1 how he flees from God's presence. Assyria, the capital city being Nineveh, Syria was a growing presence in the Fertile Crescent during this time. They were becoming a fierce threat for the northern tribes of Israel. And so Jonah, being from the ten northern tribes of Israel, was being called to go and preach doom and punishment to his enemies. But why would Jonah want to run from that? I think we get an answer at the end of the book. We'll talk about it. But he runs from that opportunity. He runs from the presence of Yahweh. There, he gets on a boat. There's a great tempest that raged and Jonah knew that it was because he had angered the Lord. And so he told the mariners to throw him overboard. And God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah. We know that story well, don't we? Chapter 2 of the book of Jonah is Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, praying. And then chapter 3. Chapter 3 and in verse 1, after the Lord had commanded the fish to spit Jonah up and back onto the dry land, it says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah's not preaching a message of hope, is he? He's not preaching a message of deliverance, of mercy, or salvation. He's saying God is going to overthrow you. Now, just imagine yourself as an Israelite for a moment. Someone who, like Jonah, who got to prophesy to the children of Israel that even though you're wicked, God's mercy is shown to you. But not so for enemies of Israel, right? That's Jonah's thinking. He's saying Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And he preaches this message of destruction. And remarkably, as a result of Jonah's preaching, it's just phenomenal what happens. You read in verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw His burning anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. People of Nineveh, they believed in God. The king humbled himself. He proclaimed a fast. And they hoped that God might relent of His anger. They hoped that God might be merciful. Here are Israel's enemies. And they hear a message of judgment, of doom, of destruction. And they hope that God will be merciful to them. And God is merciful to them. Even though they were wicked, even though they did not deserve God's mercy, God relented. 
He saw their repentance. He saw their faith. He saw their belief. And just as God had shown mercy to Israel when they did not deserve it, guess what He does to Nineveh? He shows mercy to Nineveh. Even though they do not deserve it. You look at Nineveh, you look at Israel, there's not much of a difference, is there? Both are wicked nations. Both are have wicked rulers. Neither of them are following God's will. God was merciful to Israel. He's merciful to Nineveh. It's amazing God's mercy, isn't it? It's amazing what God's mercy is like. And so you see that God showed mercy to Israel in spite of their wickedness. He showed mercy to Nineveh because of their repentance. And no matter who we are, no matter how many sins we have committed, God promises forgiveness to us if we repent. Remembering the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13 and in verse 3, when Jesus is asked, or, or, or He is dealing with some Jewish teachers, and He asks them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He goes on in verse 14, or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Calamity doesn't determine the kind or the how abhorrent the sinner is. What needs to happen is repentance. And so God's mercy was shown to Nineveh. God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way. God relented of the doom and the destruction. And so here is Jonah. Once again, he is becoming this one who gets to proclaim God. God's mercy shines once more to an undeserving people. And God saved both of them both Israel and Nineveh through the preaching of Jonah. What a powerful preacher Jonah must have been. What a remarkable guy he must have been. But we have to continue on, don't we? We have to continue on into chapter 4. Because that's where we see Jonah. Not only did Israel see God's mercy, not only did Nineveh see God's mercy, I suggest to you that Jonah has seen God's mercy. 
Actually, throughout the whole book. In chapter 1, he ran from the presence of God. When God told him to go do something, he probably deserved, if we're going to think about justice and what he deserved, he probably deserved to die in that storm, didn't he? But God prepared that fish to swallow him. And He kept him alive for three days and three nights so that he could pray to God. And God still used him and sent him to preach to Nineveh. No, Jonah is batting a thousand for the mercy that he's receiving so far in this book. And he's going to be shown even more mercy. But you open chapter 4 and you, and, and you would be surprised, wouldn't you? That here is Jonah. He's been preaching to Israel about God's mercy. He has preached to Nineveh and God has relented of, his, of the doom and the destruction. In chapter 4 and verse 1, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Now why in the world would Jonah be displeased and angered by God's mercy and relenting of destruction? Maybe it's that God is allowing Israel's enemy to live. I think that might be a huge part of that. He thought that, well, earlier in my preaching career, I got to have some really good news for the children of Israel that even though we were wicked, yeah, we had a wicked, wicked ruler, we were still going to be successful in battle. Our borders were going to increase. I think now he, he was told in chapter 1 to go and preach destruction against Nineveh. And now he's thinking, boy, I'm going to get to go home and guess who's going to get the hero's welcome? Guess who got to go home prophesying against Israel's number one enemy, me, Jonah. That's what he was thinking. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what he was thinking. He had been a prophet who had gotten some notoriety because he prophesied of Israel's success. He had grown famous because he spoke about how God's mercy was given to Israel. And I think he began to think God's mercy was only given to Israel. And God's mercy could not be shown to anyone else. I think that's what Jonah really started to think. And throughout all of this, he missed the big picture. That he was the one who needed God's mercy. And when you continue reading, in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? <laughs> He's like, I didn't want to leave in the first place because I knew what you were going to do. <laughs> I know you're a merciful God. He, he goes on, he says, Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. 
I knew you weren't going to get rid of our enemy. And so he's blaming God for his mercy and compassion. He's blaming God for preserving Israel's enemy. And then, Jonah thinks he asks for God's mercy. Notice verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. He thinks he's asking for God's mercy there, doesn't he? He's like, God, if I had to see this, just be merciful to me, just get, get rid of me right now. But you know what's going to happen? He has a very distorted view of mercy there. God is going to show him mercy, but not the kind of mercy Jonah's asking for. Because God shows mercy to Jonah. He doesn't kill him despite his request. The Lord says in verse 4, do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. I love that description there. That here he is, he's planted himself in a spot where he can just watch and see God rain fire down upon Nineveh. And God gives him a plant. And Jonah is happy about it. <laughs> he's happy about this plant. Did he deserve a plan? I don't think Jonah deserved much of anything at this point that would have been good. He's not proven himself to be worthy of it. But that's not all because God is going to teach him a lesson. God appointed a worm, verse 7. When dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. And the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. You had compassion on that plant. But God says in verse 11, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. God is saying they are greater than any plant that is there. 
Jonah's stubbornness, his self-righteous attitude has tarnished his understanding of God's mercy. And God reminds Jonah that he had compassion for the plant that he did nothing to earn or nothing to help it grow. So why should he be angry if God relents of his anger and forgives the people of Nineveh? And remember, back towards the beginning of our study this evening, that Jonah had a lot of potential. You go back to 2 Kings chapter 14, and boy, Jonah is like this rising star of a prophet. He was one who was set to go down in the history books like Moses. In Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, when he is praying to God and he says, God, I know you're gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and all that kind of stuff. You know where he's getting that? From the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, when the children of Israel have begun to worship the golden calf and God is ready to get rid of them, and Moses is the one who is pleading for mercy. And God then says in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. It's no mistake that Jonah is quoting from the Lord. However, there's a huge difference between Jonah and Moses that becomes very apparent at this point. Moses did not buy into Israel's greatness, did he? He realized that Israel was hanging by a thread, if you will. They are a stubborn people. He reminded them of that several times in the book of Deuteronomy. He understood, Moses did, that Israel received all of God's blessings because of God's grace and mercy. And even when Israel sinned, Moses pleaded with God to show mercy to Israel, not based on Israel's character, but based on God's character. Jonah is the exact opposite. He has bought into the lie of Israel's greatness. He boasted in Israel's pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. And he thought God needed to do away with people, even though they repent. Jonah did not appreciate God's mercy. He was angered by it. He was angered by God's mercy toward the Ninevites and unappreciative of God's mercy even for Himself. Sometimes we can be like Jonah, can't we? That we're only happy when we receive mercy or maybe our friends receive mercy. It's... 
it's almost offensive to us if our enemies are shown mercy, isn't it? What did Jesus teach? Not hate your enemy, but love them. Pray for your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Well, that's just a step too far, <laughs> preacher. That's what Jesus said. That's not me. That's what Jesus demands. Sometimes we are quick to say, mercy for me and my friends, but justice for my enemy. That's certainly the delusion that Jonah fell for. So when we encounter God's mercy, as we have seen numerous times in the book of Jonah and throughout Jonah's life, how should we respond? How do you respond to God's mercy? Because for some people, the grace and mercy of God is unfathomable. People don't know what they what to do if they encounter His mercy. Joe, can I have you go back? Oh, I'm, I'm not done yet. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, I get an extra hour to preach tonight, right? We haven't changed the clock back there, so... I get an I can preach two hours and I still get you out on time. <laughs> Touche. Elder is supposed to stop the mouths of people, so you know. So good job. I don't have anything else to say. Yeah. But for some people, the grace and the mercy of God are unfathomable. They don't know what to do when they encounter God's mercy. And some, what you see in the book of Jonah, they run from God's mercy. They run from opportunities to share God's mercy, don't they? That's what Jonah got to do. He did. He was told, go preach. And he even knew. He knew that there was a chance that God would show mercy. And he ran from that opportunity. I appreciated very much the prayer that Gary led at the beginning, asking that we would have hearts to evangelize and share the Gospel with our friends and our neighbors. Sometimes we run from opportunities to do that, don't we? We run from those opportunities to share God's mercy. That's one response that some people might have. A second response is some might repent when they hear about God's mercy. The Ninevites, in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, they repent when hearing about God's judgment. And presumably they are able to hope. And they're able to think that maybe Perhaps God will be merciful. So even if you're here tonight and you realize that, you know, I'm just too bad. I've done too many evil things. If you repent, 
God, what you see, relents. He relents. He shows mercy. When we repent. And a third response, some people will resent God's mercy. Some people will resent God's mercy being shown to sinners. Like Jonah. Let that not be any one of us. Don't be running from opportunities to share God's mercy. Repent when you need God's mercy. And certainly do not resent when God does show mercy. Because we have all needed God's mercy. And the worst thing that we could do when we encounter God's mercy is to ignore His mercy. Jonah is very clear. In Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, he tells us how God is and what God will do. He says, For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. What sounds bad about that? Nothing does. Unless you don't want God to be shared among all people. But the worst thing that you could do tonight, if you are indeed needing God's mercy, is to ignore it. Because God will hold people accountable. As God declared in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 34, in Exodus chapter 34 and in verse 6, when he's describing himself as the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. God wants to show mercy. He wants to show compassion. Yet, He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. If we ignore God's mercy, if we do not repent, we will pay. We will pay. Because there is going to come a day where we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, where we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There's going to be retribution and there's going to be repayment for sin. Now you can go back. When we encounter God's mercy, God is abundant in mercy. And we need to be ready to stand before the Lord. And if we refuse to repent, at the opportunity of God's mercy be given to us, and we will spend an eternity away from God. Do not run from sharing God's mercy. Repent when you need God's mercy. And do not resent when God does show mercy.
to those who need it. The book of Jonah is a book about you and me. It's not just about Jonah. It's about you and me. It's about a book that is meant to prepare us for the day when God's mercy will no longer be found and when we will have to give an account before the Lord. Do not delay. This evening, if you need to become a Christian, we want you to become a child of God, to be baptized, to have your sins washed away. Maybe it is that you are a child of God who has been obedient to the Gospel, but you've not been living faithfully and you need to make some changes in your life. We're here to pray with you and encourage you. And God is merciful and faithful and just to forgive you if you will come confessing your sins and repenting of those things that you've done which are wrong. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?